John chapter 1. This is the last week of the kids doing uh, junior church during the Sunday school hour. Next week they will be in Sunday school. Um, and uh, looking forward to the kids kicking that off. John chapter 1, go to verse number 25. John chapter 1, verse number 25. This morning, my wife was asking for coffee. So what do you do when your pregnant wife asks you for coffee? You make coffee, all right? And then I saw the coffee that I had labored and told over for hours and poured my soul and love into sitting on the kitchen counter and not being drinking. You know what that did to me? It crushed my very soul. <laughs> And, and then, and then I said, babe, what is, I said, what, I thought you wanted the coffee. She goes, oh, I'm so sorry I couldn't drink it, but can you make me this instead? And I'm like, well, what's to guarantee that's not going to get left on the kitchen counter as well? So, so what was better than all of that was that my daughter Emma was observing everything, and she goes, daddy, she goes, you know, uh, the old saying, delayed obedience is disobedience. I said, I'm not supposed to obey your mom. <laughs> I said, I, then, then it, it gets better. I said, I'm supposed to serve her. She goes, it's the same thing. <laughs> so that's how my morning started. Uh, John chapter 1, look if you would at verse number 25. Uh, and this is the Pharisees, the group of men that had been uh, uh, sent there to ask John the Baptist, um, what is he doing and why is he doing it? And they asked him and said to him, why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, that's Elijah, neither that prophet? So if you're not these guys, then what are you doing? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Aren't you glad he takes it away? He doesn't just cover it, takes it away. This is he of whom I said, after me. So basically, he preaches this message, and then the next day Jesus comes, and he points him out and says, this is the one I was just telling you about yesterday. Um, after me cometh the man who which is preferred before me, verse 30, for he was before me, as Jesus says in John chapter 8, before Abraham was, I am. And verse 31 says, and I knew him not. So here's what's weird. John the Baptist and Jesus are cousins. You guys remember this from the, the narrative of Luke, right? So they're cousins. And then look at what John says in verse 33. I knew him not. Now, it doesn't mean he didn't know that it was his cousin. It's that he didn't know necessarily until this point that this, in fact, was the Messiah. Now, what's stranger than, all, than that is that Mary knew and Elizabeth knew. So you're going, well, why didn't John know? And listen, I don't know if that was part of God's plan, like just kind of keep that uh, silent, uh, no differently than during the ministry of Jesus Christ. There were times where they wanted to make him a king, remember that? And he said, my hour is not yet come. So God, listen, here, here's what you get out of all this, okay? God has a timetable for everything. And God has a timetable for everything in your life as well. And sometimes you think it should be done at a certain time in a certain way, and God's like, no, nope, you're out of order. It's not, it's not time for that. Uh, and, and our issue is this, oftentimes when we want something, God's going no, and when we don't want it, God's going yes, right? And, and so here you have a, a, a really good example of that with John the Baptist being Jesus's cousin, and he says, I knew him not. The other thing I point out about this in verse 31 is this, when it says, I knew him not, uh, that word no is uh, oftentimes used to mean to know someone in an intimate fashion. Do you guys remember when... Um, the angel comes to Mary, and she says, I have not known a man. Yeah. 
okay? That doesn't mean she's never met a man in her whole life, okay? All right, what that means is she's not had an intimate physical relationship with a man. Uh, let, me, let me put to you in a spiritual light, okay? Paul says that I may know him, Philippians chapter number one, uh, two, right? So, so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Question, is Paul saved when he writes that? Yes. So doesn't Paul know the Lord as a savior? Yeah. yeah. But, but he's saying, look, I want to know him more intimately, right? So when John says, I knew him not, it's not that he didn't know Jesus. He knew him as his cousin. But did he know, in fact, that he was the Messiah? And, and did everything come to culmination as it did in this moment prior to this? The answer is no. So John's saying, hey, what's happening right now is a big deal. Uh, and by the way, let me say this. You might tell yourself, if I miss one church service, it's no big deal. You have no idea. That may be the one time where God's going, I've got something just for you. And, and, and by them being in that location, they got to witness something. And, and I thought this was kind of interesting, too, talking about John's baptism. There are very, very few things that in all four Gospels are recorded. Very few. And uh, not because the Gospels contradict, but they complement each other. Matter of fact, if you are in, in police work, they would say that if someone's, uh, if three people's uh, stories from different vantage points at different times were exactly the same, almost like rehearsed, right, you would question whether that witness is true, all right? So, so with the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they have a little bit of a different spin, but every single Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them record this event, which tells you it's a very important event. All right, the baptism of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, look at verse 31. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to who? Israel. All right, not the church. Did you see that? Not that he'd be manifest to the church. Eventually, he would win the church as his bride. But when he comes, he's, his mission initially is to make himself manifest to Israel. Keep your hand there. Go to Matthew chapter number 10. Matthew chapter number 10. Now, I'm going to point out a couple things here about this baptism I think are really important to get a hold of because I want to be very clear. John's baptism is not the same baptism we're baptized to. All right, we are not baptized under John's baptism. Uh, Matthew chapter number 10. And uh, the ministry of Jesus Christ was centered around a particular theme. And the theme of that ministry was the revelation or the manifestation of the kingdom of heaven. And when you study your Bible, what you learn is that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God uh, are not exactly the same thing. Uh, the reason why they are both mentioned during the ministry of Jesus Christ is because both kingdoms are presented when the king of the kingdom is physically here. Uh, what you learn from Luke chapter number 19 or, uh, is, uh, is the fact that the kingdom of God, or Luke 17 rather, the kingdom of God is within you. It's inside of you. It's a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is a literal, physical kingdom with Jesus Christ reigning on the earth. This is what Israel was looking forward to. Uh, that's why when Jesus first sends out his disciples, he does not tell them to go out in all the world and preach the gospel. Uh, he says that at the end of his, after he's uh, died for the sins of the world, after he's been buried and resurrected and he appears to his apostles, before he goes back up, he says, go and preach to every creature. As a matter of fact, someone was asking me before church, is it okay to eat rabbit? Because in the Old Testament, it says you can't eat, you know, this kind of, uh, of animal. And you don't understand from the Old Testament to the New Testament, things are very different. All right. And, and things that they were commanded to abstain from in regards to dietary law, as example, on the New Testament side, 
I told you to go to Matthew 10. I'll have you look at that, but in a moment we'll go to 1 Timothy 4 as well. On the New Testament side, things change a little bit, all right? And, and so what I want you to understand is that when John shows up, his, his baptism is to prepare Israel. We're going to compare John's baptism with Peter's baptism, and I'll tell you why. They're both very similar. The differing factor is that one is on the side of the New Testament, one's on the side of the Old Testament. Uh, but they're very, very similar in nature. And John's baptism was a baptism of repentance to prepare them for the kingdom of heaven, to prepare them for their Messiah. All right. Now, obviously, they reject him. Uh, we're going we're to look at that in a moment. But I, I want you to understand the ministry of Jesus Christ was centered on this theme. Matter of fact, the first message Jesus preaches in Matthew uh, 4, after he's tempted, after he's baptized and he's tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, and he shows up and he starts preaching, you know what he says? Uh, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what he preaches, all right? He doesn't say, believe on me and thou shalt be saved. He's preaching a national message of repentance to a nation that needs to repent so they can receive their Messiah. Does this make sense so far? Understand that a national message for Israel is different than an individual message about salvation for you. Those are not the same thing. Uh, look at Matthew chapter 10, and uh, this is not the, necessarily the Great Commission. You read about that in Matthew 28. Uh, but look at Matthew 10. Look, if you would, at verse number 5. These 12, the 12 disciples, Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans, Enter ye not. It almost, now, I'm not trying to be funny when I say this, uh, but if you were to read that, if you were to put that in a job description in America in 2022, you'd lose your shirt. You'd get sued because it would be anti, it would be discriminatory. Do you understand? It almost sounds like racial profiling. That's not what it is, but it sounds that way. And the reason why is because Jesus, it wasn't that he didn't care about the Gentiles. It was a matter of priority and promise. If I make a deal with Joe, all right, and, and someone else overhears it, it, it's up to me whether or not I want to include someone over here. I've got to first be, make good the deal that I made with Joe before I go to anybody else. Does that make sense? God made some promises to the nation of Israel, and he's making good on them through the ministry of Jesus Christ. And, and the Messiah showing up for Israel meant that they could be liberated from the occupation of those who don't believe like them and who don't worship their God. So, so what it was was not just a physical liberation, but eventually a spiritual one as well. And the problem that the nation of Israel had was this. Just like us, let's be honest, we want the physical blessings without the spiritual commitment. Right? Like, God bless me and give me and do this for me. Uh, and, and maybe if I get around to it, I, I, might go to, I might read my Bible, I might pray, I might go to church, I might be a witness, I might. But Lord, you've got to keep your end of the deal. And listen, that, that's kind of what happens with Israel. But look, if you would, at verse 6. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of who? All right, and look at verse 7. What's the message? The message is get ready for the kingdom. 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 Now you go, then, then, then why is it different now? Well, because Israel had a chance to receive their Messiah, and they didn't. Now, now it doesn't mean Jews can't be saved, but if they're going to be saved, listen, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. Uh, Romans 3 says that he's concluded, Paul, who was a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, said this, I conclude that all, Jew and Gentile, are under sin. And he says when it comes to salvation, we're all on the same level playing field. 
All right. But when it comes to national promises, listen, guys, uh, America, we're not guaranteed anything. Listen, I, 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 I hate to say it. Some of you that bleed red, white, and blue like I do, the, the statement I'm about to make is going to drive you crazy. America, I, I don't find American prophecy. Now, if you want to find it and tell me later, that's fine. But, but clearly, the closest anyone's ever come is Revelation 12, where it says she's born on the wings of eagles. But the problem with that is he refers to himself as the eagle in the Old Testament, God. So to say it's America is kind of like, eh, it, it feels patriotic, but I don't know if it's biblical. Does that make sense? So, so I don't know that I find American prophecy, but I'll tell you this. I find Russian prophecy. Some of you are going to hate that. I know. <laughs> Wolverines, right? You know, kill the commies, right? All that, right? I know, I know you don't like that, but, but it's Bible. <laughs> and, and so you know what I can tell you? When America's gone and when Russia's gone, whatever else, Israel's still going to be here as a nation. God has called a remnant. And they are, and, and we'll, we don't go through all of this now, but basically what God does in the, in the period of the Great Tribulation is he purifies them and gets them ready to receive their Messiah because they received a false Messiah first, all right? Now, now look, they reject the, the leadership, by and large, in John's day, the Pharisees rege- and the Sadducees rejected the baptism of John. There were, there were uh, uh, Jewish uh, uh, disciples and people that got right and got ready for the kingdom. Uh, but by and large, the leadership rejected this. So, so look at Acts chapter number 1. Uh, and if you're taking notes, by the way, the reference in 1 Timothy, we're not going to go there right now, but it's chapter 4 around verse number 3 or 4, where it says that uh, nothing is to be refused. Every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. In other words, uh, the Old Testament, you couldn't eat certain animals, you couldn't eat certain kinds of meat. New Testament, uh, man, you know, if you pray over that thing and, and you know you have a good conscience about what you're eating, nothing wrong with it whatsoever. All right? Um, where did I just tell you to go? Thank you. All right. It's called pastoral ADD. Acts chapter number 1. Look, if you would, at verse number 7. And notice what the, uh, verse number 6, rather. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the what? To who? All right. So even after the resurrection, they're still they're not looking for a church. They're looking for a kingdom. And what they don't understand at that moment, in the book of Acts is that God's delaying that because they are not they did not receive their Messiah. Now, what's interesting is this. God gives them every chance, even in the book of Acts, he gives Israel chance after chance after chance after chance. And the leadership had to be a part of it. They had to be a part of it. Uh, because in the Old Testament, it talks about the stone which the elders rejected, right? And, and so the elders, the leaders of the nation, for, for, for Israel as a nation to receive their Messiah, they would have also had to receive their Messiah, and they didn't. Now, look at Acts chapter number 2, because a lot of people get messed up uh, with uh, Acts chapter 2, and uh, they kind of preach Acts 2 as if this is how you should get baptized today. Uh, Acts 2, look at you at verse 37. Uh, actually, go back to verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of who? Israel. All right, that's not you. That's not us. That's not the church. Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, who's the they? Israel. The, the, the people that were there that were representing the nation of Israel, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
for the remission of sins. That's the fact that Jesus Christ had remitted their sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Let me ask you a question. Do you have to get in water today to get the Holy Spirit? No, but they did. And you say, why? Because on this side of the cross, they rejected their Messiah. The Lord's given them a chance. So basically, think of it this way. It's kind of like the same baptism inverted. On this side, it's get ready for the kingdom. On this side is you killed your own king. What are we going to do now? Well, if, listen, he's, he's gone, and they don't realize it yet, but the kingdom ain't going to come right now. But what I can tell you is this. I can tell you the fact that, oh, and by the way, in verse 7, he tells in Acts 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 7, he tells them it's not for them to know the times or the seasons. All right? In other words, when they ask about the kingdom being restored to Israel, he goes, that's not for you to know. So in chapter 2, they don't really know what that means. They're just kind of going with it like, okay, well, he said it's not for us to know. Does that mean it's coming or not? And so here he goes, you killed your Messiah, you killed your king. They go, okay, what do we do? Well, you should have done it here. But since you didn't do it here, all right, now it's basically, well, we did wrong with our Messiah here. And so you know what we're going to do? We're going to repent and go back to our Messiah. That was when they got baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, which is why, which is why, when we baptize here, we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You say, why is that? Because that is the name of the Lord, the three in one. And when Jesus sent out his disciples to baptize, he sent them out to do it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then why does he do it in the name of Jesus Christ here? Because that was the name of their Messiah, Jesus, which means Jehovah saves. It's a New Testament form of Joshua. Jehovah saves. It was, it was their Messiah's name that they rejected. So for them to get aligned back with God's plan for Israel, they had to be baptized, every one of them, in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, I realize I'm throwing a lot at you at one time, but the idea is this. Repent and get ready. Repent and go back. And that's pretty much what that is between John's baptism and Peter's baptism. They're, they're different in the sense of timing, but the messages are very similar. Now, let me say this. Why does John baptize? He baptizes to get Israel ready for their Messiah. So the reason we baptize today is a little bit different. Uh, understand that baptism is clearly not your salvation. Go to First uh, Corinthians chapter number one. First Corinthians chapter number one. If baptism, like uh, the Church of Christ teaches, uh, was your salvation, then then what Paul says here makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, look at First Corinthians chapter one, and look if you would at verse number seventeen. For Christ sent me not to what. Now, that doesn't mean it's wrong. Now, now, you got two extremes. Let me give you two extremes, okay? Church of Christ says you got to be baptized to be saved. Uh, the, 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 what I call dry cleaners or hyper-dispensationalists, they say you can't baptize. There's no need to be baptized because that was something that was only done uh, before Paul got his revelation about the church. Now, it's hogwash. And I'll tell you why it's hogwash because in this very same passage, look back at verse 16, all right? Uh, Paul mentions the fact that others were baptized and there was nothing wrong with that. Uh, it, was, it, it is a part of the Christian life, but it is not your salvation. How do I know that? Look at verse 17. Again, he sent me not to baptize, but to preach the what? If the gospel was baptism, then that statement makes absolutely no sense. Now, the gospel, according to a Church of Christ person, is Acts 2.38. Repent, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and be baptized for the remission of sins. And every time you get into a conversation with someone from that background, I look, I'm not picking on anybody but at some point, you're going to run across someone that thinks that baptism is part of your salvation. And if you don't understand how to diffuse that, how to redirect that, or how to point out scripture that's not correct, I don't want you getting sucked into that. 
So it is very clear from Acts 2 that they got the Holy Spirit by getting wet. That's that, no doubt about that. Uh, they got to get baptized in order to get the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what's weird. In, uh, in one place in Acts, they get baptized to get the Holy Spirit. In another place, they have hands laid on them, and they get the Holy Spirit, and then they get baptized. In another place, it's all over the map, which is why you have to understand the book of Acts is transitional. And there are things that God is doing with Israel that do not apply to the church today. Hopefully this makes a little bit of sense. Uh, but, but ultimately, the, the, the gospel is not get baptized. The gospel, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You ought to be familiar with this. Uh, the gospel, in a nutshell, is not even John 3.16. I love that verse, but that's not it. Uh, John 3.16 tells you the motive for the unfolding of the gospel. The motive of the gospel is that God loved us. All right, God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That, that shows you the motive of what eventually gives us the gospel story. But what is the gospel? Look at 1 Corinthians 15. Look, if you would, at verse number one. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach unto you. Now, go back, look, look if you would, at verse three. Here it is. All right. I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Verse four, and that he was buried and that he rose again according uh, third day according to the scripture. So the gospel is simply this. Christ died for our sins and was buried and rose again. All right? That's the gospel by which you're saved. All right? Now now you have to make a decision with that gospel and here's where some people kind of go off. All right? Um, I cannot manipulate or force a person into receiving the gospel by faith in sincerity. That is a personal choice they have to make. All right. Now, now what some people say is this. Some people say, all you have to do is know the gospel. Did you read it? Yeah, I read it. Okay. Now you know it. Now you're saved. No, that's not, that's not how that works. You have to believe it. (laughs) Well, how do you prove your belief in something that the best answer I've got is, is, is the answer that's in, and and it's, it's in a a matter of prepositions. You guys remember prepositions in the, in, uh, in grammar class? All right. If it, you could, if you could add the word the words the house afterwards, where's Miss Schleer at? Where's Miss Schleer? There you go. If you could add the words the house after it, right? Then then you know you're using prepositions, right? In the house, on the house, uh, uh, beside the house, right? They, these are preposition uh, prepositional phrases. So, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't say believe in. He says believe on. You say, why is that? Because that's a matter of resting and a matter of faith. I could point at that chair all day long and say, that chair is awesome. It can hold my weight. That chair is great. It was engineered the right way. It's structurally sound. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. When do I show my belief? All right. So, so getting saved is not an acknowledgement of biblical facts. The devils do that. All right. The Bible says in James, the devils believe and tremble salvation is when a person hears the gospel, understands they've got to, they understand some, they have to do something with that message. And they go, you know what? I am no longer going to trust my own righteousness. I'm going to trust the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And, And no differently than salvation involved God showing his love for you. Salvation involves you showing your faith in him. And the way you express that is by calling on the name of the Lord. Romans chapter number 10. All right, so again, I want to make this much clear. We don't baptize today because it's salvation. We need to get that out of the way, all right? Uh, We we don't get the Holy Spirit 
by, by getting baptized. Uh, matter of fact, our hearts are purified by faith, Acts chapter 15. All right, we are, we are no longer uh, going through the transition of the early church where they don't know if Israel is still going to get their kingdom or not. We are beyond that. And listen, if you're saved today, it's because you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for your sins individually. All right? When you, when you got baptized, which you've got a handful of people that want to do that next Sunday, when you got baptized, it was an outward manifestation of what happened on the inside when you got saved. We're going to explain that in just a moment. Um, but uh, let, me, let me say this much before I do that. Uh, go to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11, just to reinforce something about John's ministry. John was an Old Testament prophet. I want you to get that. Now, I know you're going, well, well, I'm reading about him in Matthew, so he's New Testament. Well, yes and no. He's found in the New Testament of your scriptures. But as far as God's timeline is concerned, uh, John is Old Testament. And we've already been through it a million times before, so I won't have you turn there. But the Bible says without the death of the testator, there can be no testament. So the New Testament begins at the cross, right, when Christ dies for our sins. Uh, Look at Matthew 11 and look, if you would, at verse number uh, 12. And from the days of John the Baptist... Until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until who? All right, John's an Old Testament prophet. You understand this. He is a pork-abstaining, beard-wearing, Sabbath-observing Old Testament Jew. And, and what John, the, the difference, what makes John's ministry so unique is he's paving the way for the one that would bring us the New Testament. All right, now the reason I mention that is this. Uh, when John gets up there and goes, I want you all to get baptized, all right, to show your repentance, all right, and to get ready for the kingdom of heaven, that is not your message. And, and I want you to get, it's an Old Testament message waiting for the kingdom, all right? So why are we doing it now? I've explained why we're not doing it. I've explained how we're not under John's baptism. Why do we do it today? Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And uh, Jesus makes mention of this uh, when they ask him why he's getting baptized. It's, it's to fulfill all righteousness. And part of that's fulfilling of, of prophecy, the anointing of the Messiah. But the other part of it is, is simply saying, I am submitted to God's, God the Father's plan. So if, if Jesus was submitted to God the Father's plan, you should be submitted to God the Father's plan for your life. And after you get saved, one of the next things that God shows us in the New Testament scriptures that you can do is take a step of obedience in following the Lord. That's why we say following the Lord, because he, he was baptized, not because he had any sins to get uh, washed away, uh, but, but rather he was identifying with the message. Well, what is the message that you accepted? The message you accepted is that Christ died for my sins and was buried, and he rose again. Amen. All right, and, and by the way, uh, I'm going to kind of throw this out there too. The reason why we don't baptize by sprinkling is the same reason why you wouldn't take a corpse, throw them up against a tree, and throw dirt on their face, right? And like, let's call it good. That, that's not burying somebody, right? You want to bury someone, you, you dig them in the ground, right? You, 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 you move the earth and you throw the body in there. And, and so the idea is this, uh, uh, baptism, but by, by definition, all right, the word... Uh, baptism, it comes from a Greek word, which simply means, all right, to immerse, means to cover, to be submerged, if you will, all right? The, the Greek word is baptizo, but the idea is, all right, it, the word, by definition, 
You taking someone and sprinkling them and calling it baptism is the opposite of the definition of what baptism means. So, so by definition, it, it, doesn't, it wouldn't work, all right? Uh, baptism is, is meant to say, all right, someone is going down, they're coming back up. They are being immersed in something, all right? Now, when, when you got saved, you got baptized in the Spirit. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. Uh, but uh, understand this, uh, whenever uh, 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 you got baptized, it was a picture of something. It was a symbol or a type, if you will. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3 in verse number 21. The other word is figure. It is a figure of your salvation. All right? Uh, look at verse 21. The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Now, it, the language can be tricky. So if you're thinking it's saying that baptism is what saves you, watch the parenthetical statement, number one, and understand that it is the like figure of what saves you. All right? Look at the parenthetical statement. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. In other words, it's not the water. All right? But the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The reason that it works, the reason that baptism is what it is, it's a figure or a picture or a symbol on the outside of what happened on the inside when you got saved. You are, that's why when someone gets baptized, we say, raised to walk in newness of life. All right, and, 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 and if you've never been baptized scripturally and, you've, and you are saved, we'd invite you to be a part of that next week. But understand again, it is not a matter of washing away your sins. It is not a matter of, okay, now I'm really repentant and now I'm fully saved. No, you got saved when you asked Jesus Christ to save you. All right, baptism simply shows on the outside that you did this thing. It's a matter of identity, all right? Uh, when you go to a sports game and you know they got opposing teams and you got your colors on, they got their colors on, everyone knows by looking at you, right? Unless you're like the jack wagon that went to the Dallas Cowboys-Denver Broncos game with a New York Giants hat on. I watched that the other day. I'm like, get out of here. No one likes you, man. Get up, go, right? Uh, if you're a Giants fan, I love you. I'm sorry. Uh, but but, but you, unless you're that guy, most people go to a game, they go, I'm with this team or I'm with this team, Right? And the idea is I'm identifying by what I'm wearing. I'm putting something on to show you whose side I'm on. So baptism is basically you as a believer going, you know what? I want to show you whose side I'm on. I'm not perfect. I'm not sinless. I mean, my soul is now that I'm saved. Amen. But in this flesh, I'm not sinless. I'm not doing this because now I'm a super Christian. I'm doing this because I want to identify with the life and testimony of Jesus Christ. I want people to know I'm a believer. So listen, after salvation, you could never get baptized and you're still going to heaven. But, but it doesn't mean you're necessarily an obedient child. One of the steps in, in walking with Christ is looking at the scriptures and going, okay, Lord, what's next? All right, no, Lord, I'm going to church. What next? I need to study my Bible every day. Okay, Lord, what's next? Uh, you want me to get baptized? Okay, Lord, what's next? You want me to join a, a local church? Okay, Lord, what's next? You want me to go to the mission field? Let me tell you right now, you ain't, God's not going to call you to the mission field if you're not willing to get baptized. Revelation with God is progressive. He shows you one thing at a time when you're obedient to take care of what he's already shown you to do. So, so baptism does not make you saved, but it does identify you with the life and testimony of Jesus Christ. Now look at Acts 19. Let me show you why I'm telling you that John the Baptism's, uh, John the, excuse me, John the Baptism, John the Baptist's baptism, all right, was, uh, is, uh, I, I use this term and I mean it respectfully, it's outdated. In other words, it's not the baptism wherewith you should be baptized to anymore. 
Uh, look at Acts chapter 19. Let me show you what I mean. Now, let's, let's say, for example, you were there when John the Baptist was baptizing people. And you go, yep, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe that. I'm going to get ready for the Messiah. Uh, and I want to get baptized. And you get baptized. All right? And then you go back to your corner of the world and you live your life. And then years go by. And then you run into some Christians who are talking about Jesus. Now, you, you realize that could happen, right? You realize that did happen. Look at Acts chapter 19. And there's a guy from, Apollo, uh, from uh, Alexandria. Uh, his name is Apollos. Uh, Acts chapter 19. Look, if you would, at verse number 1. And it came to pass a while Apollos uh, was at Corinth. Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said to them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Now, guys, I don't have to ask you that question. Because the moment you get saved, the Holy Ghost is inside of you. And, and I'm going to show you that in just a little bit. All right, uh, But uh, look at uh, the rest of the verse. And they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto who? Unto John's baptism. So on this side of the cross, the idea is this, on this side of the cross, this baptism is outdated. If this is all that you believed, and now all this stuff has happened, which is what happened with Apollos, he, he believed this message. He goes, okay, I'll get baptized. And now Jesus Christ has come. He's been revealed. He's had his ministry. He died. He, buried, he was buried. He rose from the dead. And now they've been preaching the, the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now they're going to him, hey, man, uh, 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 you got the Holy Ghost? No, I don't even know what that is. Well, what exactly were you baptized unto? Oh, I got baptized under John the Baptist. And they're like, oh, we have a lot of catching up to do. And that's pretty much what goes on in the next several verses is they catch up Apollos on everything that he missed, which is why I'm trying to tell you, I don't know if I'm making, so for some of you I can tell, I'm maybe not making as much sense maybe as to others, but you have to be careful in the book of Acts because it is transitional. There are people in that book that don't fully understand everything that you know because it's not yet been revealed. Does that make sense at least? Right, so it's being revealed a little bit at a time. So the idea is this, we don't baptize for the same reason John the Baptist did. Our purpose for doing so is to identify with the life and testimony of Jesus Christ. It's for you as an individual believer, not as a nation, repenting as a nation, but you as an individual to go, you know what, now that I'm saved, I want to identify with the life and testimony of Jesus Christ. Uh, and, 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 I, and I want you to understand this too, that uh, what, what you'll find in John the Baptist's ministry, and it's pretty short-lived. I mean, as far as what the scriptures give us, what you'll find in, in John the Baptist's ministry is, look, I, my only purpose, and we talked about it before, is to make way for somebody else. So my baptism is going to give way to someone else's. All right? And, and eventually you see that happen as, as history unfolds. Look, at, look back at John chapter number 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Covered a lot of ground there, hopefully... Some of that, if not most of that, made sense. Uh, John chapter 1, if you have questions, we'll try to, try to answer questions here at the end of class. John chapter 1. And uh, so John is uh, baptizing, and of course Jesus comes. Uh, look, if you would, at verse number uh, 29. Let me flip this here. There we go. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 29. Now, the next day, after he was baptizing, after he's been talking uh, they asked him, are you the Christ? He goes, no, that's not me. He's coming. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. That's the message, right? Can you imagine, imagine your, your whole life's ministry is talking about someone that comes, and then the very next day after mentioning that, he shows up. That's an amazing thing. 
Um, I also say this. The Lord tends to show up where people are talking about him. You want God to show up in your life? Talk about him. Uh, put him on. If you listen, I'm not telling you, you need to be on social, but if you're going to be on there, p- talk about Jesus Christ. If you're gonna, if you're gonna be on any platform, if you're gonna be somewhere, if you're gonna be somewhere in person, in real life, at, at the job site, talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. You'd be amazed at where He'll show up. And there He comes. He shows up, and uh, to everybody else, it seems random, but it's God's exact timing. Look at verse 29. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold. The what? The Lamb of God. God. That's a very, very interesting uh, announcement. Uh, It's a very interesting uh, title given to Jesus Christ. Look at Acts chapter number 8. Acts chapter 8. We'll go to Isaiah in the Old Testament. Acts chapter 8. He is the Lamb of God. Notice he's not a lamb. He's the Lamb. All right, look at Acts chapter number 8. And uh, I'm going to show you some interesting, uh, in just a moment, from the Old Testament. Acts chapter 8. And uh, look at verse 31. By the way, this is the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. And Philip is preaching to him from the book of Isaiah. And uh, he's preaching from the Old Testament because that's where that guy's at. That guy's reading a scroll from the book of Isaiah. And so Philip preaches Jesus Christ from Isaiah. You know what that shows me? Um, Reach people where they're at. Not everybody's going to understand everything that you know about the Bible. But with the limited knowledge that they have, capitalize on that, all right? And so here's this guy reading Isaiah in his chariot by himself. And it's not really making a whole lot of sense because look what it says in verse number uh, uh, 30. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? In other words, I need some help here. That's why God gave us a church, by the way. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a what? Dumb before his shear, so opened he not his mouth. Talking about Jesus Christ. He was smitten and he did not smite back. He was reviled and he did not revile back. Uh, He basically went as a lamb to the slaughterhouse. The difference was... Uh, a physical animal doesn't always understand what's going on. Jesus Christ had perfect knowledge. And he, he walked in and he said, no man, takes, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down. All right. But the reason that I, I go to Isaiah 53, I want you to see this, is that uh, this was prophesied way hundreds of years before Jesus Christ showed up. Almost 800 years to be exact. Look at Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53, look if you would, at verse number 6. Now, you know what's interesting? You know who else are called sheep? We are. (laughs) All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Have you ever watched sheep? Um, They're they're interesting. Um, They're very easily, uh, they can be easily led astray. And uh, I'm not a shepherd. I don't know enough about it to speak intelligently, but I've watched videos and read books on it. And they are, I'm not going to say they're dumb creatures. Some people present them that way. I wouldn't say that they're dumb. Um, There's a a certain level of intelligence there. Uh, But basically, when you look at a sheep, you look at that sheep and go, okay, your main reason for existence is to close somebody or feed somebody. That's it. Right? And and you look look at, think about how the Bible calls us sheep. Well, that's not very flattering. I know. 
But do you understand the reason you're on this planet so you can please somebody else? You are here for his pleasure. Now, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've all gone into our own way, the Bible says. But look what it says. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who's the him? Look at verse 7. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so, openeth, uh, so he openeth not his mouth. You say, what is that? That's prophecy about Jesus Christ. And then Philip reads that to that man. He goes, hey, let me explain what that's all about. That's about Jesus. And that man gets saved and he gets baptized, Acts chapter 8. Is that making sense? So the idea is this. This title was around for a long time. He is a lamb that was without blemish and without spot, which means this. It means that he had no sin in him. Uh, as, as a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, you might read this. When God tells them to bring a sin offering, he tells them to bring a, a lamb, a male of the first year without blemish and without spot. It's a picture of Jesus Christ that in his youth. Now, you young people may not think 30 years old or 33 is young, but to the Jews, 33 was young. All right. So be nice to those that are 33 around here. All right. Uh, and so in his youth, he was cut off as a tender plant, the Bible says. So as a lamb without blemish and without spot, he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. So as a spotless and, and, with, and a, a lamb without blemish and without spot, he goes and he sheds his blood as a sacrifice for our sins. Uh, look at Exodus real quickly with me. Go to Exodus chapter 12. Let me show you something pretty cool. I think this is pretty neat. Uh, Exodus chapter 12. Little Bible nugget for you if you want to. Maybe highlight your Bible here. I'll show you something pretty neat. Exodus chapter 12. Look, if you would, at uh, verse number, let's see here, verse 3. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man, what's the next two words? A lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. You know what that's a reminder of? There is, there has to be a sacrifice for sins. Now look at verse number four. And if the household be too little for, what's the next two words? There's a particular one. Oh, there has to be. The wages of sin is death. There, there must be a sacrifice, right? A lamb. But then he goes on to say, if the household be too small for the lamb. You say, why is that? That definite article points you to a person. Now look at verse number five. It gets even better than that. What are the first two words in verse five? You know what you have to understand when you get saved? There was a sacrifice had to be made for sins. He was the only one, and I want to make him mine. A lamb, the lamb, your lamb. You say, who is he? He's the lamb of God, but I want him to be my lamb. Amen? Uh, he takes away the sin of the world. He doesn't just clear or atone for, but he takes it away. All right? And the reason he could do that is because he was, in fact, without sin. Go back to John chapter number 1. John chapter 1. As we boogie through here, John chapter 1. And I'm going to point you to one more thing, then we'll open it up to questions. We'll kind of get into a, the next thought, which we'll complete next week, right? Uh, but, but know this much. Uh, there have been a lot of attempts to atone for sins through religion. Uh, keep the law. Go to church. Uh, pray, pray to Mary. Uh, do the rosary, um, be kind to your neighbor, fill in the blank, maybe even get baptized. Those things cannot take away your sins because those are things that you're doing. And the problem with you doing anything is that you are not without sin. You are not without spot, without blemish. 
Now, here's what happens after you've been saved for a while. You kind of pretend, pretty, you, you get better at pretending. You can cover things up and you go, I'm, bl- I'm without spot. No, you're not. Well, I mean, I know the Bible. I know the seven mysteries and I know this and I know that. And I, I mean, I'm doing good. And things are, listen, we've all got spots. We've all got blemishes. Amen. Some of them are below the surface, but they're there. You could not pay for your sins because you are not without spot, without blemish. All right. Uh, look, if you would, at John chapter number one again, John one. And, and I want to show you something here in verse number uh, 30, uh, 32. And I, John, bear record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. This is something that's recorded in all uh, of the other Gospels as well. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, this is God the Father, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. Now, you might remember, we'll look at it next week, in Matthew chapter 3, uh, John the Baptist is known for having said, I baptize with water, but he that cometh after me will baptize with the Holy Ghost, comma, and with fire. In other words, either you can be born again, trust Christ as your Savior, or with fire, go to hell. But you're going to be immersed in something, either the Spirit of God or the penalty for your sins for eternity, you choose. Now, now look if you would at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to make this clear. Whether you ever get in water to get baptized or not, you receive something called a spiritual baptism the moment you got saved. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look if you would at verse number 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. You're going to notice the word one in this passage quite a bit. For by one, what? Spirit, are we all what? Baptized in one body. That is not a a reference to water. There's no water in that passage at all. You are baptized in the body of Christ the moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. You are placed in Him, and He is placed in you. That is the definition of baptism, but it's a spiritual transaction that takes place when you're born again. And so I want to make this clear. All right, uh, whether you ever get in water or not, you are spiritually baptized when you get saved. But as a New Testament believer, you still have an opportunity to follow the Lord in believer's baptism after you get saved. Not for the same reason people got baptized in John's day, for a different reason, but still through the same method, which is down in the water and back up. Amen? So uh, one last place. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Sorry. Ephesians 4. And uh, I'll leave you with this thought, Ephesians 4. Look at uh, verse number 5. Verse 4, rather. There's one body, one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one what? Now, now already I've shown you there's John's baptism, there's Peter's baptism. Uh, there's, there's a number of them physically, all right? However, there's only one that matters to get you in the body of Christ. Context is king. The context of Ephesians 4 is one body. There's one body. There's, there's one way to come into Christ, all right? And you're either in him or you're out. And so when he says there's one baptism, he's saying, look, the only baptism that counts for your salvation has nothing to do with water at all. It's a spiritual transaction that puts you in the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, all right? So any questions on what we went on this morning, any questions at all? Uh, I could see some smiles, and I couldn't tell if that meant like I have no idea what you're talking about. I agree with you. I think you're crazy. Johnny, go ahead. Um, so, um, once you're saved, you're always saved? 
Once you're saved, you're always saved. Thank God for that. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because, brother, if you could lose it, you would have, and I would have too, honestly. The, the, the reason for that is uh, the moment you get saved, God separates your soul from your flesh. So that, so that the things you do in your body, which I'm not advocating that you should sin against God, you'll pay for it in the flesh. But the things you do in the body no longer touch the part of you that's eternal. So that's why you can have eternal security. Yes, sir. Acts 10, verse 44. I think, I think the problem with trying to put a, a hard line in there is in Acts chapter 19, they get the Holy Spirit a different way. So that's why when people try to draw these real hard lines in the book of Acts, it's hard to do that. And, and I'm not being critical when I say this, but there are some people, I, I, the, the term that some use, and whether it's fair or not, is hyper-dispensationalist because a dispensationalist believes there are different periods of time in which God deals with people in different ways. A hyper-dispensationalist tries to jump an axe with a blindfold on and chops up the bread of life and tries to go, as well, there's a line here, a line here, a line. It, it's hard to do that because, man, uh, you got people getting baptized like, 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 like we do, all right, uh, later on, and the, the hypers say, well, no, that was done under this, under this uh, 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 dispensation. So it's kind of like, look, here's what I can tell you for sure. Best way I can answer this is this, brother, is that the Lord is dealing with them progressively. And even in Acts 19, think about this. You're going back in time to deal with a dude that was still over here. He didn't know any of this stuff. He didn't know all about that. So they had to go back and go, okay, let's help this guy out. So you have people at various stages of understanding of what has even happened historically. The, the blessing we have is we have the vantage point of the entire Bible. And, and what you have to understand is this. Paul brings us the mystery of the rapture, the mystery of the body, uh, the mystery of uh, uh, iniquity, uh, about the Antichrist. These are things that people didn't always fully understand. And what God does is he reveals them throughout the book of Acts in Paul's life and to the church, and eventually Paul's write his letters to the churches that give us the doctrine that we believe today. Amen. Yeah. In Acts, uh, no, in Acts chapter 8, you got the Ethiopian eunuch. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, and it's, it's t- that's why it's kind of tough because it's kind of all over the map. Uh, here's what I can tell you. By Acts 15, they nailed down that you are not, your salvation is not connected to what you eat or, or any of this stuff from the Old Testament. And it's all by faith. By, that, by then, the, the, the group of apostles and, and leadership in the church, they nailed that down. The question then becomes, which of those people around them that they're ministering to know that yet? Just because they nailed it down doesn't mean everybody around them understands it. And that's why Acts is kind of a tricky book to get into. I've thought about teaching through it because we could probably be there until Jesus comes back. There's so much in there. Uh, but, but it's a tricky book to go into to try to align with church doctrine because it's kind of a little bit all over the place because you have a lot of people on this side of the cross who don't really understand what the cross was even about. Some of them didn't even know that it happened yet. Amen? All right, yes, sir. When is Jesus coming? Uh, I'll tell you what, when you know that, let me know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. What I can tell you is this. Uh, first, first Timothy, go to First Timothy real quick, chapter 3. Um, I can tell you that we are closer now than we ever have been. Uh, I'm sorry, 2 Tim- Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
Um, because what the Lord does is he tells you the way you ought to be living your life is as if he could come back any moment. And I'll show you that in a moment. But look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verse number 1. Look at verse number 2. Look at verse number 3. Look at verse number 4. Oh, that's adorable. James, are you tired? Uh, I always like James. That's a key. Uh, but, but look at all the, the description there. Does that not describe where we're at right now? All right, so the last days, not of the world, but of the church, according to Paul, are found in 2 Timothy 3. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll close here. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Nope, 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 nope. Wrong, wrong, wrong. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Man, I am all over. You are already there. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look, if you would, at verse number 7. I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. That's the way you want to go, by the way. That's how you want to go. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. It's when he comes back. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his what? So the way you ought to be living your life is, if he could, is as if he were coming back tonight. Uh, don't, don't, don't get sucked into this internet garbage where they're always looking for some, you know, the red heifer, or the red moon, the blood moon. And the, just stop with all that garbage and know this much. Most of those things are about the second advent. They're not even about the rapture in your Bible from the Old Testament prophecy. It's not about the rapture. When Paul writes to the church, he gives them instruction about looking for the rapture. And so the way you ought to live your life is as if you were coming back today. Well, what if you didn't come back for 10 more years? If you live that way for the next 365 days times 10, all right, you will live a better Christian life than you have been living. All right, let's stop there. Father, thank you so much for the Word of God. Thank you for Sunday school. Thank you for the opportunity to learn the Word. And Lord, I pray that you would, Holy Spirit of God, go out and teach it. And Lord, as I gave it to the best of my ability to your people, we love you. And Lord, we look forward to what you have in store for us in the next hour. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll take about a